0: And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah's wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near to her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even herself, said, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands. I've done this. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are with you. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us, and how I have offended you, that you would have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she truly is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah's wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said... Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It's a very interesting story here in Genesis chapter 20, especially in light of the fact that the Lord had closed up wombs for a secular king, a non-religious king, Abimelech, in the promised land, which, he's always, which God has already promised to Abraham and his descendants. At the same time, he's opening up the womb of Sarah. It's ironic, because we've all been really looking at Abraham and Sarah for well over a month now. And it's ironic to me that he closed up the wombs of these women, while at the same time he's in the process of opening the womb to Sarah in that timeline. God's God. God's God. The God be treated every man a liar. He does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and who has resisted the Lord and ever prospered is what it says in the word of God. Now, we see historically that Sarah, Sarai was Abraham's half-sister, same father, excuse me, same father, Tara, different mother. Now we know in the post-flood world as the world was repopulating, and we're about 500 years from the flood and the post-flood ice age, and out of the ice age into the type of climates that we understand that are classifications for the climates around the world with the seasons, that the genetic degeneration, all that, the DNA degeneration that affects intermarriage uh, biologically within siblings and cousins and stuff like that was not like it is now. And of course, for the record, it was in the law that came 500 years later, 400 years later, where God said that you won't have people within your own house. So, in understanding the context, when you think of a half-brother and half-sister being in a sexual union in marriage, don't think like we think in our current society, because it doesn't apply genetically or even morally at that timeline. So, keep that in in mind. But, the fact that Abraham told his wife to emphasize that she's his sister, not his wife, that does stand. Because, of course, it's a half-truth, and it's a half-lie. And, as we know, half-lies are generally fully lies. And they'd made a deal early on that this is what they're going to do. We already saw this take place in Egypt back in Genesis chapter 12. This happened with Pharaoh. The irony of it, though, is when it happened with Pharaoh, God blessed Sarah. He blessed Abraham, and Abraham got richer. Same thing here. God blesses Sarah, protects Sarah, and Abraham gets richer. And God is gracious, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And Abraham's blessing. And God's a blessing God. And when you're in the covenants, When the covenants are yours and you're in his kingdom, he's going to bless us, not because we're perfect and we make great decisions, but because he's working his sovereign plan in and through our lives. As it says in the New Testament, it's God who wills and works in us and through us for his purposes. And we're told in Ephesians 2 that we're his work of art, specifically a very special plan for each of our lives. And there are things that we see in the human experience of our self-determination where we make choices with personal decisions, and sometimes there are moral and ethical choices. And God knows there's nothing hidden that the Lord doesn't know. We're told when we stand before the Lord, He'll reveal all of our thoughts and intents. They're all made bare and naked before the Lord. So that's a preview of coming attractions for the believers who are justified and for the world that's condemned without Christ. But that being said, we know throughout the Bible there are some immutable, unchangeable facts of God's will that cannot be altered or affected. And they're consistent with His promises. They're consistent with his character and his overall purposes of his perfect will. Abimelech can maybe take someone else's half-sister and have sexual relation with her, but he cannot take Abraham's half-sister and have sexual relationship with her. This is the one woman on planet Earth in 2000 BC, approximately. Who is the woman who's going to have the son of promise from Genesis 3.15, through whom Jesus is going to come through and there is no wrecking that plan from from some secular king, Abimelech, who lived in Palestine at that time. If the human experience is a chessboard, God will let us make moves in self-determination, but his sovereignty, he can say check, check, mate, anytime he wants to. And sometimes he'll say check, and he says, make the right move right now, or it's check, mate using chess terms, and that's exactly what he's doing with Abimelech in a dream. Check, you're a dead man. In both situations, do you notice, both with Hagar and this, well, they came out of Egypt with Hagar, but in Genesis 12, when they went to Egypt during the famine, you know, in both situations, there's no record of God reproving. Have you caught that in both these instances? So whatever reproof that God had for Abraham and Sarah, presuming he had reproof, we don't get a biblical record of that. Abraham gets reproved by Pharaoh, and then he gets reproved by Abimelech, and then Sarah gets reproved by Abimelech. But we saw when it happened with Pharaoh that God blessed Abraham for Sarah's sake. So her being under her husband's authority and going along with the plan that they had predetermined, she's blessed. She's not touched. Both cases. These are men who just take women that they want, and God protected her from that. But there are men who just think they can have whatever they want. And they take, and they're takers. And Abimelech's a taker, because what did he do when they came? He took her at 90. I told you she was attractive. He took her at 90 and put him in his harem. Put her in his harem. Abraham's discernment and suspicions were proper. And Pharaoh did the same thing. But we can't always have what we want. Especially when it's little princess, mother of nations, Sarai to Sarah, and God has his hand on her life. She belongs to the Lord. And so God comes to him in a dream and says, you're dead. You're all dead. If you don't restore that woman to her husband right now. He's like, well, hubba, 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 my integrity. What integrity? You took this woman into your harem. Like, you can just take anything you want. Like, how many goats? doesn't work like that isn't it beautiful ladies by the way how the gospel elevates women to equality with men all this equality stuff in our country in our planet right now you're already equal in jesus christ for there's neither male nor female in christ jesus we're told the gospel is the most liberating thing for women in the world it's unfortunate there's so many deceived women in this country who think somehow the gospel is repressive for women and they have to cast off his proper boundaries for the blessings of being a woman with their remake of what f- femininity is. It's just sad. But God's got your back. When your husbands make good decisions, good for you. If they make bad decisions, hey, he can bring a dream to somebody. I love this. God watches over his little princess, who's now mother of nations and still hasn't had the son of promise yet. Remember, the promises, they just get better and better and better. They went full circle, a nation all the sands of Palestine, all the stars of Palestine, then nations and kings, and then it comes back to last week in the text, a son. Grand promises that come back to the most basic thing, your world, a son. She's waiting on God for the son, and she's counted him faithful who's promised it. Hebrews 11, 12. She's counted him faithful who's promised it, and meanwhile, they go to down south, and Abraham's like, Dude's got a big army, bigger than ours. So just, I know this guy's going to try and take you in his harem, so just say you're my sister. Sure enough, it happens. God intervenes. It's like John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing unless it comes from above. God is the filter of the things in our life, and he's got our back. But I do appreciate one final thing here before we move on to the next chapter that he said to Abimelech here in verse 6. I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her and know that you will surely die and all who are yours if you do. Like God wasn't going to let her. He wasn't going to let him get even close to being intimate with her. He's just going to drop dead. He's going to be struck down by the Lord. God is our shield. But for Abimelech, you have to appreciate he did get to live and he did exactly what God said. said, And God's like, he's a prophet. Don't mess with him. Don't mess with his wife. Don't mess with me. Restore everything now. And then I'll open the wombs of your kingdom. Wow. But I like what God said. I also withheld you from sinning against me. And therefore, I did not let you touch her. And so before we move on, there's just one key thought that we want to consider. In our self-determination and good choices and bad choices, I wonder how many decisions... We've made that, had we been able to pursue them to the fullest, would have been very bad decisions with very bad outcomes. But the Lord protected us. How many things did we plan? Not obviously sin, like Abimelech here, if you will, but just, I was going to go to this college, but the Lord withheld it. You didn't get in and you should have got in. My son Luke. There's still no explanation why Luke did not get into Cal States with a perfect GPA coming out of community college. He was meant to go to private college, GCU, Grand Canyon, where he met his wife, and the rest is history. But, you know, he's like, how? But why did God, you know, God withheld him from getting to San Diego State or Long Beach State. It just wasn't part of the plan. Who knows what might have happened? Who knows what things Timmy might have plotted and planned in Europe when he's cruising Europe, where he had a plan and God withheld him. He didn't get on that train. He didn't get to that party, to that rave, or whatever it was. Or me, or you. How many things did I do in my youth where God withheld me and prevented something where I had a a bad plan with no good ending, and God withheld me from pursuing it? The planes we missed, the trains we missed, the relationships that God gives disfavor to, the jobs we didn't get, The houses we didn't buy that we thought we should have got. We just have no idea what God has withheld from us to our own benefit, to maintain our walks, to protect us from the weaknesses of our own flesh, that could bring great calamity upon us. In other words, what I'm saying is this: while we have free will and self-determination, I do believe there's times where God just says, You're my child and there's just no way I'm going to let this happen. I'm going to close this door, and there's just no way this idea, whether it's a good intent or a carnal intent, I'm just not going to let it happen. Now, he closes doors like Paul in the book of Acts trying to go to Bithynia. That's a little bit different context. That's like just going forth with the Lord, and he just closes the door. What I'm talking about here is when we think we have a good plan, and God knows it's actually something that's a very bad plan don't buy that car, don't buy that house. There's something different, something better. So I like this phrase where God intervenes from a man that's about to be struck down dead by God, but in God's mercy, he reveals himself to him and says, I also have withheld you from sinning against me, and I did not let you touch her. So may, may we just say tonight with Jesus, we agree with you, Jesus, for your will in our life, that we ask you to withhold us from sinning against you Presumptuously or unpresumptuously. And we ask you, let us not touch those things presumptuously or unpresumptuously that will take us away from you and off the path that you have for us. Yes and amen. Okay, moving on to chapter 21. It seems so low key after how upfront it's been with Abraham and Sarah to have the son of promise. And suddenly here we are in chapter 21 and we read this. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the said time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. Well, here we go. Almost three decades of waiting on the Lord. Almost three decades of expanding promises like i said earlier tonight a nation all the sands all the stars nations and kings and he comes back to the most basic promise there and when the angels came and said you will have a son and she laughed i didn't laugh no but you you did laugh and now she's laughing in a different way she's laughing with joy it says that he visited her as he said And he did for her as he had spoken. Just to remind her that every promise of God will surely come to pass. Surely it will come to pass. Looking at the most recent issue of the Calvary Chapel Magazine, Don Stewart and Jack Hibbs were asked about current events with Israel, cashless Society, endgame things that are prophetically in the Bible. And just as they're quoting the Bible about the key players and the key elements of things that we can see happening before the return of the Lord, I thought, it's exactly the way God said it would be. It's just going to be the way it's going to be. And if he says it's going to go this way, However it gets there, we know that's the way it's going to go because the end, he knows the end from the beginning. Now, that's true of end time events leading up to the return of Christ on his timeline because even as he visited her at the set time which had spoken, Jesus Christ is coming at the set time. He said, no one knows, but the Father knows. The Father knows exactly outside of time what is a set time and who's going to be alive when Jesus comes back for his church and then with his church. But we're told to live in expectancy of that being our time, of course. But God's timing is always the right timing. At the set time, you would think, why not just let Sarai, little princess, have the son decades before this? But that just wasn't the plan. They had to be so removed from any place where they would make him their son in their image for their glory. Because at this point, much like Zacharias and Elizabeth or John the Baptist, it's not their son, and he's not for their glory. He's God's, and he's for God's glory, like Hannah with Samuel as well. In the first chapter of Samuel, we we'll read about that, the first couple of chapters of 1 Samuel. Children are a heritage from the Lord, and they belong to the Lord. And before children are born and after they're born, we have all these ideas of what we think our children are going to do. They're going to do this. And, like, we, you know, we watch them build blocks, like, oh, they're an engineer. They're, they're brilliant. Like, they can build and they can, they can do these things. And then they run fast in the first level of entry level free for all three year old soccer. And we go, oh, my goodness, he could be like the greatest soccer player of all time. And, and, and you do these things. And then they say, I want to play baseball for USC. Like, no, you're going to be a, you're going to play in the major leagues. I remember when I was doing a coaching clinic in South Africa at Musenberg Beach there in Cape Town. And these kids were there, and it was really neat. It was a really special day. We gave my movie away. It was a really special ministry. And there was one kid there that was a pretty good surfer, and the mom made him recite to me how many world titles he was going to win, not just one, and she made him count all five. The kid's like 11 years old. I said, wow, well, let's start with the first one. That's what I said. Let's get one, and then we'll worry about the rest. To his credit, he's winning contests on the qualifying tour right now. But he's not on the main tour, and he's, you know, it's a way to go. But that, we do that. But if you can't produce a child, and you're barren, and you're past the menstrual cycle, and it's just way gone, like that ship left the harbor a long time ago, and now you have a kid, you know they're the lords. By the way, this is important because we're setting ourselves up for Genesis 22, aren't we, when God's going to test Abraham. If he's your son, maybe you can't put him on the altar. But if he's God's son, and he's a young adult, you put him all on the altar. It's like, son, you've been faithful thus far. You belong to the Lord. It's, it's between us and the Lord. But like I said, down there in the bottom of the hill, we're coming up, and we're going back. So whatever God's doing right here, I don't understand it. Isaiah 55, 1,500 years before Isaiah. But we're gonna, it's beyond us. We're going to trust in the Lord, and then bring it to pass. It's so beyond them. And that's why it's so important, as he said, as he had spoken, the set time which he had spoken. God's timing and God's fulfillment of his word. But don't you just love where Sarah says in verse 6, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. God loves laughter. God loves joy. Now, life is serious. We know that. Life is serious. Ecclesiastes three summarizes it. There's a time to be born, a time to die, and there's a time where we embrace, and a time we refrain from embracing. And there's a time of it ends where there's a time of peace and a time of war, or a time of war and a time of peace. And life is challenging. There's so many moving parts of life, and you guys all know this. And the more kids you have, their adults are just open tabs everywhere. They just open tabs everywhere. There's just stuff going on, like just, and you know you. at animals, you just, you know, life happens and it's messy. Where the oxen is, there's increase and there's a messy stall, Proverbs. You want a clean stall? You don't have any ox. There is no gain. You have a clean stall? No oxen. If you're going to have gain in life, if you're going to live life, it's going to get messy. You have to clean the, the, the oxen stall. That's Proverbs. There's a proverb that says that, and that's the proper application. Now, some of us are more joyful than others. Some are just a little more, you know, even keel, a little more accountant style. No offense to accountants. Donna's an accountant. She's not here, but she was here earlier. She's pretty joyful for an accountant, too. She's always happy for of the balancing numbers all the time. But, like, you know, we're different. Like, some people express themselves so outwardly, and other people just like, you know, it's like everyone's different. But Jesus said that he came that we'd have joy in him, and our joy would be full and that we would have abundant life in him. And as much as I believe the evidence of a regeneration or being born again by the Spirit, because the Spirit's with us, outside of us, to show us our need for Christ, when we receive Christ, he's in us. And to me, the greatest confirmation of Christ being in us is joy. There's joy. We've passed from death to life, and there should be joy. Now, life happens. Parents die. Children die. Family pets die. There's, you get jobs, you lose jobs. You get houses, you lose houses. Things happen. All kinds of life happens. But joy is not based upon the outward circumstances. It's based upon the inward faith and position that we have in Jesus Christ. And no one can take our joy from us in the Lord. Nothing can separate us from the Lord. Therefore, Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the joy of the Lord. And yes, there's a time when we mourn, and there's a time when we rejoice. But I feel sorry for some people because some people profess Christ, and they never seem to have joy. They tend to be kind of sterile, kind of rigid, even legalistic at times. The Christian cults are very much like that. Just kind of, there's no fun with the Lord. There's no, there's no joy with the Lord. And, and it gives people a chance to just kind of blaspheme against the Lord when they look at people that confess Christ and have no joy. We should have joy. Our joy should supersede the joy of the world, not that we're in a competition with them. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, we know that. But these light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's coming in Christ Jesus. So our joy isn't based upon that we're uh, like going through hard times. Our joy is that the Lord is with us in those hard times, and he's taking us to a better place and to a better time that this can't even be, it's not even worthy to be compared. So we can't say, weighs little, weighs a lot. You can't even compare it. You can't compare it night and day. You cannot compare it. Rich, poor. There's no comparison. So the joy that Jesus gives us, he's with us the Spirit convicting us to bring us to Christ, then He's in us. So we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we get when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Like it's right there. Love and joy. It's top of the list for a woman or a man who's Spirit filled. And then we have the epi, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, where we're overflowing. So as we're just abiding in Christ and seeking the Lord and 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 just really walking and setting ourselves apart in the joy of the Lord, we're spirit-filled and we're overflowing. We're not just full, but we're overflowing. And that's that's what life is meant to be. That's how we're meant to live life. You look at great women and great men of God and they were serious but they had Amy Carmichael, for example, she was very serious in her writings, but it's been said that Amy Carmichael had a great sense of humor, too. She's rescuing little girls from trafficking, sex trafficking and stuff in her timeline. There's nothing new under the sun. You know that. There's nothing new under the sun. And that's what she did, that she had joy. We want to have joy. I encourage us to just meditate upon those promises of God in our life to meditate upon how good God is to you, even on the difficult day. And we don't need to dance when it's a time to mourn, but we don't need to mourn when it's a time to dance. Life has a full experience. And I think sometimes many people who say they serve the Lord, they miss the joy. And right here is the son of promise, and his name is laughter, and Sarah says, and everybody should just be laughing with me from here till the kingdom come. Because this is funny stuff. I'm 90. And I'm nursing a child. And look at Abraham. He's fathering a child. Father of many nations. And it's all here. You laugh all you want. But there's a new child in the tent of Abraham. And his name is Saul. His name is Isaac, so let everyone laugh. Let Abimelech laugh. Let Lot laugh. Let everybody laugh who hears this story. Because God is good. And decades of waiting on a promise with no tangible thing to affirm it in time, space, and matter have all come to pass, and here he is, our son, Isaac, laughter. The joy that the Lord brought her. It's wonderful. It's amazing. But there's always conflict, and when it all comes ahead, there's conflict coming. So here we go. Verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said, Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Well, it does get dicey when you have a son from another woman, although it was their idea to have the son from this other woman, the surrogate mother Hagar from Egypt. And Abraham loves his son. I mean, this is his teenager. Like, this is his junior high guy. Like, and Abraham just loves him. Like, he's poured all this love and affection into this son. And in this tricky, dicey balance of his love for Sarah, his wife... But Hagar's the mother of his son, and they're all hanging out together. And the drama and the tension that would have been for 12 years in the tent, tense, probably. And now here on this joyful day, Isaac is being mocked by Ishmael. This is a very important story because most of you or many of you know this is quoted in the New Testament, the book of Galatians, this story. And this story a shadow of things to come unfolds for us in the book of Galatians with interpretation that Ishmael mocking Isaac is a type of the persecution that religious people bring upon people who are saved by faith. So when you're excited about the Lord and someone says, don't tell me about the Lord, I've been going to church my whole life and who are you and this and that and everything else, or even the history of the church is people generally who claim to represent Christ are attacking those who are truly seeking to serve the Lord. Religious people persecute justified people. Those of the flesh who think they're saving themselves, more often than not, derive their greatest wrath and direct their greatest wrath toward those who believe they're saved by grace through faith in the promises of God. And sometimes I become so consumed with trying to stop someone who's spirit-filled and Relationship oriented through faith with God, that they forget they even that they should have a great commission of their own, because they're so bent on trying to persecute him. In the New Testament, this is what the Judaizers did and the Jews. They were religious and they pursued Paul the Apostle from city to city to discredit him, to attack him, to beat him, to incarcerate him. And so from that background, when Paul's writing the letter to the Galatians after those things are recorded for us in Acts 13 and 14, he says, this story, this is what we just read. And he said, this is what the flesh does. It attacks the spirit. But know this, he had already said in Galatians, if, just, if righteousness comes up through the law, then Christ died in vain. But Christ did not die in vain. We are saved by faith and faith alone. So this story becomes the foundation to prove in the New Testament that we are saved by faith. Because Isaac represents promise and faith without any human work. God made it happen. She was past being able to have children. Whereas Ishmael, persecuting Isaac and mocking him, represents the flesh. Remember what Abraham said in chapter 17? Oh, that Ishmael might stand before you. And God said, no, because Ishmael is the son of the flesh. And that's contrary to the promises of God. We cannot save ourselves. Ishmael is human effort to bring about the saving work of God. Isaac is God's promise fulfilled by believing in him to bring about the promises of God. They're a complete contrast. So as much as contextually as Abraham loved Ishmael and Isaac, this conflict, they, the flesh and the spirit, what does it say in Galatians? They war against each other. So whether it's the flesh of carnality and unrestrained sin or religious pride sin, it wars against. It's not compatible. That's why Paul called the Judaizers who claim to be Christians but Jews at the same time and try to put people under the law and everyone circumcised. You become a Christian, but now you got to become a Jew. He called them false brethren because you can't be both. You're either saved by faith or you think you're saving yourself through works. Isaac represents being saved by faith. Ishmael represents human efforts to save ourselves and bring about the promises of God. And right here is this story contextually. Isaac and Ishmael, two sons. One was promised, the other one was produced by human effort, and this story comes forth in the New Testament, fully unfolded for us as examples that we can never save ourselves, Ishmael, and those who think they can persecute those who are saved by faith, Isaac, according to the promise. By grace you've been saved, that through faith not of works, lest anyone should boast. We read on, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad, or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed will be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder. He gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, lifted her voice, and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the lad to drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew up and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Which makes sense, because she was from Egypt. Hagar was from Egypt. God was with the lad. See that verse right there, verse 20, God was with the lad. God is so merciful. He is so merciful. And notice it's between him and Ishmael. Like when Hagar ran away from Sarah a couple chapters ago because Sarah was just on her back and just relentlessly after her, after she had Ishmael, God said, return to her, submit to her. There's a lesson in that. I'll honor that. And I've got a plan for your son. And here a decade later, when they're being expelled from the family, I mean, that's, they're being divorced. I mean, this is a divorce. For those who've been through divorce, I'm sure you can re- relate to that. This is a divorce. We're done like that. It's done. This is just a, it, it, It's a. It's a partnership in business, broken, completely broken. It, it's done. It's an unreconcilable situation. But what I do like is how Ishmael cries out to the Lord, and God speaks about Ishmael in a relationship with Him, not Hagar. He's talking to Hagar. He goes, "I've heard the the voice of the, the boy, and I've heard his cry." You know, God's personal with everybody. We all have to find our own faith. We all have our own standing before the Lord. And I appreciate that Ishmael's standing is not based upon Hagar as mom, but God's doing directly with him personally. And we need to remember that when we're loving on people and sharing with people and serving people, forgiving people, God sees individuals. And that's that goes for our adult children too. They, they got to find their own traction. They got to find their way. We got to commit them to the Lord to find that way and to fulfill that way and grandchildren too and so on and so forth. But in the end, I love how God's personal and God was with the lad. God was with the lad. Now, I think most of you know this, but in case you don't, in the Islamic faith, the Muslims believe, you know, Ishmael is their father of their faith. So whereas Isaac is the father of the Jewish faith, the Jews you know see the promises to be in the land through Isaac. the Muslims believe they have the land of Israel through Ishmael, so they believe what the Bible, they believe that the Bible promises made to Isaac belong to Ishmael, thus the ongoing arab Israeli conflict, the West and the Muslim war Islamic war which has been going on long before Thomas Jefferson and even before that, and the Barbary pilots and all that stuff, and from the halls of Montezuma to the Shores of Tripoli, right? If you know your Marine Corps, him, that, that's... Man, this, this war's been going on a long time. And America's been involved with the war with Islam for a long time. Ask the British how it went with the Turks in World War I. This is, there's nothing new under the sun. But for the record, Muslims believe that those promises made to Isaac were made to Ishmael, and they're theirs. And that's pretty un- unreconcilable. In fact, it's probably completely unreconcilable until the Antichrist comes along, and with all the power of the devil... Reconciles it because he brings a false peace. And this is the conflict of the ages worldwide right now. I'm not saying Muslims hate us, but their religion hates our way of life. The foundations of this country, our belief systems, our constitution, and those blessings are still there. We're still on the fumes of those blessings. We're a far cry, like the rotting Roman Empire around 400 A.D. We're a far cry from the glory days of how this country was founded But nonetheless, we're still the one country everyone wants to go to. You think people want to go to China? You want to go be a Muslim in China, or a Christian, or anyone that believes in God of any type? Look what they're doing right now. It's a great country. And I don't blame anyone for wanting to come here. I don't. And I'm certainly glad I was born here. And I'm glad my great grandmother, Aline, came through Ellis Island in 1906. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm sure you're grateful for those who came before you as well. And I'm just really glad I grew up American. But, of course, since being American, like many of you, God's teaching me there's a bigger world than just the USA. There's a lot more to this planet than Bruce Springsteen singing, born you know, in the USA. It's just the reality. In fact, I have to say, the last 30 years of being a Christian, incrementally, God's been teaching me a bigger world view. Bit by bit expanding, 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 to see past red, white, and blue, and to see the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit for all nations, because the gospel isn't just for this nation. It's for all peoples. Finally, we wrap it up tonight with the covenant with Abimelech. And it came to pass, at that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander, verse 22 of his army spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal false with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor have I heard it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen, gave them Abimelech, And the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phukol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Now that many days gives us a long time increment, probably a couple more decades, if you harmonize scripture. So he's got his new, new kid, Isaac, sent Ishmael away and had to give him to the Lord, like so often we need to do with things It's out of his hands, belongs to the Lord. But I like what uh, Abimelech said about Abraham's life. He said, God is with you in all that you do. Before we move on to communion, let's think about it for a minute. God is with you in all that you do. If there's something that people know you, because the people that know you, they work with you, they live next door to you, you know, the family and all that. If pressed, it'd be so awesome if they could say, God is with you in all that you do. In other words, the general trend, the general disposition, the general course of your life, people can look at it and say, you know what, the Lord is with them. They prosper. It's like Joseph in Egypt. Whatever he does, the Lord prospers him. He prospers him in the house of Potiphar. He prospers him in the jail. He prospers him when he's over the land second to Pharaoh. The Lord is with you. That's a wonderful testimony. Now, we know he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but he's with us in all that we do. So the key to the Lord blessing us in all that we do is that we're doing what he, as best we can discern what he's called us to do. The obvious things of walking by faith and obedience and the subtle things of just acknowledging him before our decisions and giving him a chance to say, yes, no, or wait, that the Lord is with you. There's a new commercial out where the guy has the Midas touch and it's gold. They touch the stuff, it turns the gold. And the husband says, I've got the Midas touch. And the wife says, nobody says that about you. But you know when you're walking with the Lord and you're spirit-filled, you kind of do have it. That what you touch is blessed. What you speak is life. We're giving life. We're speaking life. We're bringing life. Wherever you go, whatever you do. And that people can say, the Lord is with us, comma, in all that we do see you can say the lord is with us period for a fall of christ but comma and all that we do the lord is with us comma in all that we do like a pause just all that we do that's what we want the lord to say about us but when the lord can say it about it say that about us i believe others can say it too